You found the Digging Oak Island podcast, the podcaster's journey to discover the truth behind the Oak Island mystery. I'm Dave McBride. Thank you guys so much for downloading and listening. If you've been listening to and enjoying our little podcast, please consider helping us out by becoming a patron. You can go to patreon.com slash Island to learn more. All right, before we get started with our podcast this week, let me sneak in here another plug for that Patreon page, tell you a little bit more about it. If you think this podcast is worth five bucks a month to you, that's it, five bucks a month, and you'd like to see this podcast keep going strong, uh, you know, please consider helping us out by becoming a patron of our show. Go to patreon.com slash Island. You can sign up. Uh, patrons who uh, sign up for the five bucks a month get exclusive access to a live chat during the U.S. broadcast of each new episode of The Curse of Oak Island, and it is so much fun to do it. They've got a new chat uh, thing on there for your for the apps on your phone. Uh, it's really great going back and forth with some people, especially during the show. And also, I love being able to ask you guys some questions. It's just it, the chat is really it. So come and join us again, folks. Patreon.com slash Island. Support the podcast. It's only five bucks a month. You can cancel any time. And also, if you prefer not to do the monthly thing, and I get that, right? You can also make a one-time donation to the podcast via Venmo. You could do that by using the username at Dave McBride Music. That is my musician's uh, virtual tip jar, I guess, is what <laughs> I've been calling it. I don't know if that's the right word to use, but you know what I mean. Uh, it's a, uh, an old account that's been sitting there since the days when people didn't want to give, which weren't that long ago, people didn't want to hand over cash, afraid of COVID and touching and that kind of stuff. So we set up that, and now it's still there, and that's really the only way I can think of where you could do a one-time donation to the show. It's really all it's used for anymore. Anyway. As always, we're going to start today's podcast with emails and messages from you, the listeners, and we're going to start with Patrick. Now, Patrick is an environmental engineer, by the way, and he gives us some terrific insights on the revelation that the flooding, uh, the water flooding the garden shaft is indeed salt water. Now, this is a really big deal. We talked about this last week. It's a really, really big deal that it's salt water and not fresh water. But it was only mentioned on the show kind of in passing last week. So we'd been wondering about this. And finally, last week, the narration told us that it was salt water, which honestly, I was surprised. I was expecting to hear it would be fresh water or not hear anything at all. Why they waited so long to reveal this, I'll never know, because the salt water makes it sound like it could be the booby trap flood tunnels. Fresh water, obviously not. Anyway, here's what Patrick says. Hi, Dave. I also noticed that the narrator had started to explicitly state that the garden shaft is being flooded by salt water. Maybe someone on the production team is listening to the podcast. I'm not so sure about that. But anyway, he continues. I agree that if they had said the flooding was all freshwater, that would have helped to rule out the theory about a flood tunnel connecting to the nearby bay. However, we should, have, we should also note that the opposite is not true. The presence of salt water at depth on an island is to be expected. Along the coastline, there are two aquifers below the ground surface, a shallow aquifer consisting of fresh water, and then a deeper aquifer consisting of salt water from the ocean. On a relatively small island like Oak Island, I wouldn't be surprised if the freshwater aquifer is only about 50 feet deep. So to encounter salt water, uh, deeper down in the garden shaft is not necessarily unusual. 
I've attached a drawing showing the general idea, plus a refinement to the flood tunnel theory that I really hope the narrator starts to suggest moving forward. Thank you so much, Patrick. And I will post his drawing on Facebook for you guys, our Facebook page. Uh, just go to your uh, search bar, type in at Diggin' Oak Island. Give us a like there so you guys can have a look at this. The question that inevitably comes up for me is, why don't the guys know something like this already, right? This is what people always would ask me in situations like this. And it's a good question. And my answer is, um, I would imagine that they do, <laughs> right? Uh, this is the producers, I think, deciding things for the show and not what the guys doing the work really think. Does that make sense? Um, I, anyway, Patrick wasn't done. He wrote us another email. Uh, and first of all, by the way, thank you so much for clarifying that, Patrick. That really does help us out. It helps us out with sort of understanding the saltwater flooding throughout the history of this, right? So anyway, great stuff. But he had more to say. Uh, this is on a different subject. He wrote another email later in the week where he wrote, Hi, Dave. If others haven't weighed in yet, I'm following up about the PVC pipe that got stuck in the drill auger from the adjacent borehole. PVC pipe is often used to convert an open borehole into a groundwater monitor well. They used solid PVC pipe to run the entire length of the borehole, and then the PVC is at the in the bottom 10 or 20 feet will typically have slots in it to allow groundwater to flow into the monitor well. Otherwise, the borehole will collapse on itself after the drill pulls up the auger casing. If they have uh, created many of these PVC monitoring wells throughout the area, they could periodically collect and analyze groundwater samples for specific metals to help pinpoint where to dig next. All right. Thank you again, Patrick. Uh, I'm starting to think, my friend, that uh, maybe you need to become a member of the fellowship. <laughs> it sounds like they could really use your expertise. Lord knows we can here, and we can't thank you enough for offering this great expertise for us. It's great stuff. Um, thanks so much for clearing all of that up for us. And with the water sampling being done, right, we know this is being done. Man, this makes a ton of sense. That really does it for us. Although I suppose in this hole, right, that's probably not much of an option anymore because they just ripped the pipe to pieces with their drill. Uh, I, I know that one of the drilling challenges is that the drill moves as it goes down, uh, kind of bends uh, one way or another, and they don't always know that. Um, and I guess that's what happened here. And then they destroyed this hole. That's the problem with, I guess, digging so many holes in such a small place. Anyway, Patrick, thank you so much. Let's go now to a new patron. Here is Marcy who asks, do you think the brothers and all the professionals are going to start leveraging AI to give them additional insights based on all of the artifacts and data that they have collected? I work in tech and AI is being embedded into everything we do with amazing results. Why not here? I'm not expecting a treasure to be found, mystery to be solved, but it could help focus the next steps of their adventure or hypothesize a few scenarios of what actually happened on the island based on what's been found. I'm pretty sure I haven't heard that topic on the podcast, though it may have been raised here prior to my joining. Love what you do. Best, Marcy. Marcy, it sounds more to me like you need to contact the fellowship, or I should say the fellowship needs to contact you here and uh, employ your services. Another listener who probably belongs on Oak Island helping out. Uh, again, I not only do I have the best listeners of any podcast anywhere, I have the smartest. That's just a fact. And 
I think the Laginas are maybe missing out of, out of getting a little help from some of these really smart people who write in here. I mean, these are a couple of great, uh, great emails from both of you, Marcy and Patrick. So um, let me say it like this. Uh, do I think using uh, AI would help with the hunt? In a word, I have absolutely no earthly clue. I'll be honest, AI still scares me from the original Terminator movies. <laughs> so what the heck do I know? I'd love to know more about this, however, Marcy. I'd love to know more about how um, this could work. Is it something that's readily available to them? Is it something that an expert would need to come and kind of set it up and specifically tailor it for that? Uh, these are kind of questions I have. I don't know. Um, <clears throat> we know that they are trying to get as many possibilities in here as they can and trying to open up and willing to spend on all sorts of analytical instrumentation and, and stuff like this. So great stuff, Marcy. Hopefully they're listening. Uh, and if you can answer any of my questions there, just email them back to me. All right. Let's finish up with a great email from Scott who writes, Dave, Venetian trade beads were produced from the 1500s to mid-1900s. The expert stated that based on color and design, he dated the lot five beads to 1500 to 1650. I have attached photos of beads available on Etsy. These date from the 19th century to early 20th century. They have the same color and design as the ones found on Oak Island. I would suspect the Venetian trade beads found on lot five to date to the same period as the ceramics found on uh, the same site, mid 18th century. Laird suggested they seek out an expert on beads. When Laird himself doesn't speak with the experts that the producers of the show find, it does make the experts somewhat suspect in my mind. The Oak Island team does some kind of analysis of the glass that proves that the beads truly date from 1500 to 1650. That would be very good data. But if the dating is based simply on color and design, as the experts stated, it simply cannot be linked to those earlier dates. As always, thank you for the incredible work. Scott from Denver. Scott, thank you for your incredible work. Absolutely fantastic. This kind of reminds me of the old swagger stick, right? Found a few years ago, which turned out to be nothing more than a modern lipstick cover and not, in fact, something a British general in the 18th century would put at the end of a stick so he can walk around looking snooty and commanding. What surprised me about the beads, the ones that they found in Lot 5, uh, when we first saw them, was how good a condition they seemed to be in when the archaeologists pulled them out of the ground. Now that we're getting some initial dating, and it's actually could be a lot younger than we think, it's starting to make a little bit more sense. I agree with you, though, Scott. I'm not ready to toss these aside just yet. But with the information that you gave us here, I would say a lot more analysis needs to be done on these beads before we can conclusively call these 500-year-old Venetian trade beads that were some sort of uh, great treasure, right? I mean, it's just, it's just not that yet. Folks, again, I'm going to put these pictures Scott sent on the Facebook page. I mean, Scott nailed it here. Do a side-by-side -side comparison for yourself. These modern beads available for purchase on Etsy are pretty much a perfect match to these ones that they found on Oak Island. Scott? As they used to say in NASA, you are a steely-eyed missile man, my friend. Okay, folks, that's all for the emails. Don't forget, if you have any questions or comments, you can mail them in to diggingoakisland at gmail.com.
All right, guys, it's time to discuss Season 11, Episode 14 of The Curse of Oak Island called Rick and Mortar. That's a tough one, folks. It really is. Yikes. Okay, let's begin today's review over at Lot 5, where we see Jack Begley checking in with the archaeologist working at this circular foundation thing. Archaeologist Jamie Kuba tells Jack that she thinks the site is now, to use her words, quote-unquote, too big to be a house which from the visuals we're getting here is really impossible for me to agree or disagree with. And if it is too big to be a house, then what are we looking at exactly here, right? And I guess this kind of all brings up something that um, I'm going to say a lot here, a lot more regarding one of the, a few of the projects happening on the island in this episode. And that is just how hard they're making it for us to visualize or understand the conclusions and theories that the folks on the island are drawing out of what they're seeing. Um, Maybe it's the editing. Maybe it's just me. I don't know. But here and at the swamp, the show really isn't helping us much to understand what exactly they're talking about when they're saying these things, like it's too big to be a house. From what I can see here, that doesn't look at all like something too big to be a house. But Jamie must have good reason to say that, and I just wish this show would do a better job of letting her explain it a little more, but also by backing up her opinions with some decent visuals of what they're talking about. Anyway, enough belly aching for now. Like I said, this issue is going to pop up again, and it has been popping up for a few weeks, so I'm going to come back to this in a bit. Also, guys, I'm sure you can tell, uh, earlier in the year, in January, me, my wife, my son, all had walking pneumonia, and we're all great now, we're all recovered, except we're still coughing a little bit and still dealing with it. So I I thank you for hanging in there for all the uh, coughs and clearing the throats and stuff. I know I do a lot of that anyway, but it's been really hard this couple of weeks. Anyway, let me continue here. Jamie Kuba then finds in the dirt what she thinks could be a bit of mortar, Hence the Rick and Mortar uh, or some kind of cement. I mean, she uses both of them together. So later in the episode, we see the guys take this mortar sample to Laird Niven and Emma Culligan in the Interpretive Center to do some analysis on it. And the findings are really kind of interesting. Emma says that the chemical makeup of it is close to an exact match to a sample taken out of the money pit area and also one from the garden shaft. Now, It's important to note here, and I don't know what this means, but more than once during this scene, Laird makes a point of calling what they're looking at here a soil sample. I mean, he says that, again, he says that on more than one occasion, a soil sample. Not sure why he did that, but for whatever it's worth, anyway, regardless, it's pretty cool to find a link here in my mind between Lot 5 and the Money Pit. The idea that this soil sample somehow is evidence to back up the William Phipps theory. That idea eludes me a bit, but again, this is pretty cool stuff. So anyway, let's head now over to the swamp where the first thing we see is Jack Begley, Gary Drayton, and Billy Gerhardt starting to dig out a new section of the swamp just at the edge of it along the woods here on the eastern side. Again, here again, the show is not very clear about all this. For one, why dig here? I believe that they're trying to follow the road towards the money pit, but I don't think that was ever actually stated. Also, they kept on saying that this was the southeast corner of the swamp, and that really isn't accurate. It's really not, and it took me a while to figure out where exactly it was. It's certainly sort of the southeastern side, but inland from the beach, which the beach is where the corner is, right? 
Now, maybe I'm splitting hairs with this, but again, the show just doesn't seem to be doing a great job this year with visualizing for us what exactly is going on. Rick starts to, he comes along and he starts to, as he says, poke about the dirt pile of spoils from Billy's excavator while Gary metal detects. Gary pulls out a couple of wood planks, which the swamp seems to be um, riddled with these days, honestly. Now, having said that, let me clarify a bit. I don't think that it's riddled with wood planks because there is a ship buried in the swamp. I've said this before, but this is a good time to repeat it. I think what they're seeing here with things like this is because before the 20th century, there was no road blocking the swamp off from the ocean. And with the higher sea levels back then, much of the swamp was really the beach. And it was completely ignored by searchers and just about anyone else really for centuries. So these planks could have just sort of been washed up on shore and left there undiscovered for years and years. And that kind of would also explain the lack of everything else ship-related found here. Anyway, Billy hits a huge boulder with his excavator. And then he starts talking about how they might be seeing some sort of stone staircase, I think how he put it, uh, leading up to this large boulder. But again, I'm starting to sound like a broken record. I just don't see what he's talking about here. I don't know what he means. That doesn't mean I, don't, I think Billy and the guys are incorrect. It's just uh, the show doesn't do a good job of visualizing this for us. Why didn't somebody try walking up these steps? And this happens yet again as Billy starts talking about how there might be more of the stone path here. Um, you know, he's just banging his, his uh, bucket down on something. And we don't really see what he's talking about. Hopefully, though, by season's end, we will get a clearer look at all of this, which is what has happened with the stone path in years past. Regardless, the big thing in this scene is obviously this boulder. And Rick comes over to say that, man, it looks like a Nolan's cross boulder. And that sentiment is repeated a few times, especially towards the end of the episode. So what do I think of that idea? Well, yes, it is a conical-shaped uh, boulder and appears somewhat similar to those of the Nolan cross stones. Of course, they're, everybody has been pretty uh, guarded about what those Nolan cross stones look like to the public. I mean, there's, we've only ever seen a few of them and we certainly don't get a lot of looks at them, but here's the thing. If you believe in Nolan's cross, meaning if you believe that someone actually put them there to symbolize a giant cross for whatever reason, well, they had to get those boulders from somewhere, right? They didn't bring them in from Europe. So it shouldn't be any great surprise to find other such boulders all over the Island. Uh, also, this seems pretty easy for me to figure out, right? Just get Steve Guptill down there, plot it, see what it, uh, see whether or not it makes any sense that it would in fact be part of the cross. Well, we didn't see anything like that in this up in this episode, but hopefully we will soon. Let's finish off over at the Money Pit. The episode opens with Rick and Marty checking in again with the Dumas guys over at the garden shaft. Now, this was a little tough for me to follow, maybe because my son was trying to get me to play floor hockey with him during this scene. But from what I gathered, I think the Dumas guy was saying that the last drill that they used to go down to the supposed tunnel from the bottom of the garden shaft actually deflected off of something and they couldn't get to their target depth. I think that was the word he used, deflected. Either way, the second drill didn't work. And just to review, the first drill was the one they put down last week, um, which was uh, the one that brought up some pieces of wood and more on that wood in just a bit. Now, the narration tells us here that the garden shaft is still not down to the target depth of 95 feet. For some reason, I thought it was, but apparently not yet. 
Then there is a strange graphic that shows the extension that they're working on. And the graphic shows this extension of the garden shaft actually going down into the tunnel that they're chasing underneath it. Folks, again, need to clarify this just a bit. 95 feet down, which is the target for where they're going for the garden shaft, is not deep enough to hit to intersect this tunnel. If we all recall from last year, this tunnel they were following was always below the 100-foot depth. Not sure why the producers chose to show it this way, in this manner, but they did. Just so you know, the garden shaft, when completed at 95 feet, will not intersect the tunnel if the tunnel is at the depth that they were finding it last year throughout all their exploratory drilling. Now, next we see Terry Matheson and Charles Barkhouse at the money pit, digging a new hole, and this one is apparently drilling down right through the old H8 hole, which is the one that supposedly hit the chapel vault and then collapsed and you know, maybe moving the vault further down into the depths or pushing it to the side or what have you. So it seems that what we're doing now is trying for all intents and purposes to refine the vault. The drilling goes all the way down to 211 feet. And the sample they find at, uh, in there at the bottom there has a strange bit of metal in it. They didn't analyze it or really say anything more about it to follow up on what it was in this episode. I'm hoping we get something more on this in the future. As I tell you, if we don't, you know why. The episode then concludes with a meeting at the Dumas trailer, which is a weird place for this, but it's where Alex, Rick, and Doug have all come to hear what Mar- what Craig Tester has to say. He's joined by Marty on the phone uh, regarding the wood sample that I mentioned before pulled out of the garden shaft last week by the Dumas drilling. Now, Craig has the results of carbon dating done on the sample. And uh, the wood, uh, this is all... The team thinks this wood is the, if you remember, was the top of this potential tunnel, right? So the dating is, well, how do I say it this way? Because again, this was confusing. Craig initially says that the dates are 1631 to 1684. Now that's exciting. But after the commercial break, it comes back and we get a little bit more information. Uh, And that's the problem with carbon dating, right? Because here he says that there's also a 34% probability that the wood dates from 1735 to 1803. In fact, the date ranges um, for this wood are anywhere from 1529 to 1803. Uh, But I don't want to let this sort of date confusion spoil the party here. It doesn't help us zero in on the time frame for sure. But the fact is that the chances of this being pre-searcher, pre-1795, are very, very high. It's unlikely to be searcher. It's also almost assured that this wood dates before 1803, like I said, which means it dates from before the time that any searcher with the ability and the resources to dig and create such a tunnel were working on the island. Yes, it's very close, but you know, the probabilities here seem to make sense that it is from before that time. That is incredible stuff, folks. The tunnel below the garden shaft is perhaps, or at least in my mind so far, the best target the Laginas have ever, ever found during their years searching on Oak Island. All right, guys, short episode today. That's going to do it for the Digging Oak Island podcast. Don't forget, you can really help out the show by becoming a patron. If you think this show is worth five bucks a month to you, then head over to patreon.com slash Island to learn more. 
and if you prefer, you can also make a one-time donation to the podcast via Venmo. Just use the username at Dave McBride Music. Sorry, I hit the mic there. Also, if you would like to help out the podcast in another way, then you could do so by giving us a five-star rating on Apple Podcasts or anywhere you get your shows. Big thanks to everyone who's left this five-star rating already. I really do appreciate it. Thank you for taking the time to do that. And thank you especially for the kind words. You can also follow the show on Facebook. Just put in Diggin at Diggin Oak Island into your search bar. And if you have any questions or comments you want to send directly to me, you can do so via email at diggingoakisland at gmail.com. Keep in mind, if you send me an email or a direct message on social media, I'm going to answer it here on the podcast unless you tell me otherwise. Okay, folks, it's crown time. So until we speak again, I'm Dave McBride. Thank you for listening to Diggin' Oak Island.